friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. So let's go to the Word of God right now. I'd like all of us to please rise from our seats. <clears throat> and I'd like us to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no man can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to the light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are celebrating a new year as well as our own anniversary. We thank you, O God, that we could come together and worship you and declare your goodness before your congregation. And we ask, O oh God, that your grace might be upon us this morning, most especially upon myself, O oh God. Lord, help me to be able to deliver your message clearly, truthfully, and with passion. Lord, please heal my voice that as I speak, O oh God, I might be able to deliver your message uh, all throughout. And we just pray for your grace upon all of us. Lord, renew our minds, renew our hearts in Christ Jesus. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Building the City of God in 2017. A few years ago, I was... Uh, listening to the podcast of uh, Alistair Begg. He happens to be one of my favorite preachers. He's actually from Scotland, and he's now based in Cleveland, uh, United States. And right now, his influence is uh, moving all over the world, and I'm so thankful for his ministry. So one time, I was listening to him, and he was able to expound about this city of God. And somehow, I'm, I'm going to be able to draw certain principles 
from what he shared. And so I'm going to be able to echo to you some of the things that had truly blessed my heart. Now, as we enter a new year and as we celebrate our anniversary this January, my desire for Living Word is a commitment to serve God and the church. Now, that is not only my own wish list, that is also my wish list for each and every one of us. And for us to be able to do this, we need to have a mental resolve as well as a determination to be able to fulfill the task that God has assigned to us. Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, that we were born into this world. We were called by God for a specific purpose and a specific reason. There is an assigned task given upon each and every life. And I think it is important that we fulfill that mission, that task that God has given to us. Somehow, I think there are many Christians who are moving around, doing certain things, but they are unable to discern the fact that God has given them a specific call in their lives. And my prayer to God is that if you have not yet discovered your purpose and your call in life, you might find that purpose and call this year, this new year specifically, so that you can follow and obey God's will. Now, this mental resolve and determination, however, must come from a biblical and pure mindset if it is going to be acceptable to God. Now, that's the reason why I began uh, this uh, morning sermon with a reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because basically this tells us how we need to build the city of God. And basically, just going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, we're not going to read the entire passage all over again. But I'd like you to notice what verse 9 says. It says, For we are fellow, I'm sorry, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, one of the things that I would like you to take note of is that the Bible says that we are God's building. Now, God nowadays is building something. He is building His church. So we, as a congregation, we as a body, are actually the building of God. But not only is God building our lives, not only is God building the church, not only is God building the city of God, He has called us into the field to be workers with Him, to be partners in this building, so that in truth, we are fellow builders. We are partners in this building. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. And what does it say here? By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. So Paul saw himself as a fellow builder, as a partner in the building of God. And it says here in verse, uh, verse 10 as well, but someone else is building on it, 
but each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this city, I'm sorry, on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to the light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, again, very clearly, the Bible points out two things. Number one, we are God's building. And number two, we are likewise builders. Now, the question we would like to be able to answer is, what are we building? Well, as Alistair Begg said, there are two things that people are building. In fact, two cities that people are building. And so, if you take a look at the Bible, it is really a tale, a story of two cities. One is the city of man, and the other one is the city of God. And of course, because we are believers in Christ, what we need to be building this 2017 is the city of God. That is what we need to be building. Now, I'm sure that some of you are asking, what is the city of God? And what is the city of man? And I think because uh, of that, we need to be able to come up with a definition of terms to be able to understand what I am talking about, what the city of man is all about, and what the city of God is also all about. So let's begin with the city of man, or what I would like to call a secular city. And so we'll put it up on the screen. And so let's read this at the count of three, one, two, read. It is a city being built of man, by man, and for man. So take note of that. What kind of a city is this? It is built of man. It is man who does it, builds it. It is by man, and it is for man. It is for his own glory. And one good example that I can find is Genesis chapter 11, as we take a look at the story of the Tower of Babel at this time. So can you please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11 and beginning at verse 1, please? It says here, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Now, initially, when God created the world, there was only one language. Now what exactly that language was, we do not know. As Cebuanos, probably we would like to believe that Cebuano was the language that was spoken before. But the truth of the matter is, we're not sure what language was being used at that one time. But one thing we are sure, there was no confusion whatsoever. You probably saw the video that we showed this morning when my wife and I came here. We came from Manila. We did not really understand the Cebuano dialect. I actually had to learn the language myself for about two years 
And that was the only time I had the confidence to be able to speak, at least conversationally, with people. And so wherever you go in other parts of the world, you have got to learn their language. But initially, before, there was just one language. So the question is, what happened? I mean, why is it that we now have thousands and hundreds of languages as well as dialects? What happened? Well, the story is found here in Genesis chapter 11, and let's take a look at verse 3 at this time. This is what happened. They said to each other, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly, and they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, and I'd like you to take note of the pronouns that are being used here. It says, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So that is how it happened. That's how people began to have different languages and different dialects. Verse 8 reads, So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the what? They stopped building the city. So that's the city of man. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world and from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, I'd like you to take note of the following phrases which I emphasize to you. Remember, I told you, take a look at the pronouns that are being used here. So, we find phrases like, come, let us build for whom? For ourselves, what? A city. Then it says also here, make a name for whom? For ourselves. So you will notice here that the center, the focus is really man. That is why I would like to call this the city of man. The preoccupation of man here is his own name, his own city, as well as his own kingdom. And what happens here is that God is placed in the periphery of people's lives. He is now on the sidelines. And so the focus, the center, is now man. And you and I know that should not be the case. We are not the center. We are not the focus. The center and the focus is none other than God Himself. But this is where you and I see that majority of the people in the world are actually lost. They are building the wrong things in life. They are aspiring for the wrong things in life. Their direction is the opposite 
of what God wants for us. And that is unfortunate. That's the reason, by the way, that God had to intervene and bring in a little confusion because people were headed in the wrong direction. The whole of mankind were headed in the wrong direction, and God had to do something about it. So if you're wondering why is it that we have different dialects and different languages, well, this was the beginning point. And I hope that we have learned our lessons. But you and I know that man continues on. Even today, people are still building their own city. People are still building their own name and their own kingdom. And I would like to be able to say as well that even Christians are deluded into building the wrong things. Sometimes we listen to the voice of the world. We get our cue from the world. And that is why many times we find ourselves thinking like the world, behaving like the world, conducting our lives like the world. Our aspirations, our dreams are very similar to that of the world. And again, that is so unfortunate. And I'd like us to start off on the right foot this 2017 by building on the right things. And of course, this is something that we have been emphasizing for the past years. But then again, even as believers in Christ, we have a tendency to forget our direction. We have a tendency to forget our focus. We have a tendency to forget God in our lives. So instead of building what God wants us to build, instead of building the city of God, we find ourselves building the city of man. We find ourselves building our own city, our own kingdom, fulfilling our own dreams and our own aspirations. And that's not a good way to start 2017. Now, as I mentioned to you, even up to today, people are still doing what they were doing in Genesis chapter 11. In fact, from generation to generation, the story just repeats itself over and over and over again. And so we go to the book of Daniel once again, chapter 4, and let's take a look at the example of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 4, 28 reads, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, and watch the pronouns once again, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. So once again, notice the pronouns here, the key phrases, Babylon I built, again, for the glory of my majesty. And basically what happens in the case of many people 
is that they build on the basis of what they see. In this city, people live on the basis of what they see. So we look around us, and this is exactly how people live. One of my favorite actors happens to be Anthony Hopkins. And I recall him saying this, but, you know, as I quote him, this is how the world thinks. This is how the world sees things, and this is how the world builds their own lives. And Anthony Hopkins said this, I love life because what more is there? Nothing lasts really. There's going to be darkness, and it's all over. Now, sad to say, there are some correct things here. For example, he is right when he said that nothing lasts really, but that is only as far as this world is concerned. That, that is why notice his exasperation. Notice his lack of hope when he says there's going to be darkness and it's all over. And that's the reason why people live as if there is going to be no tomorrow. People live as if there is going to be no eternity. People live as if there is no heaven and there is no hell. And because they live according to the ways of the world, because they live according to what they see, they build on the things of this life. And unfortunately, they also realize that everything they build in this life is actually temporary. So believers in Christ, friends in Christ, let us not follow the path of the world. Let us not live and build our city, so to speak, as the world builds it, because that is the wrong way. And friends, if we do not correct ourselves, if we do not change our perspective and our focus, God is going to arrest our attention. He's going to grab our attention. And sometimes He may need to chastise us. Sometimes He may need to discipline us in order to just grab our attention. And this is exactly what He did with Nebuchadnezzar because he was going the wrong way and God wanted to correct him. So let's take a look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 31, as he was boasting about what he had built. Here's what happened in verse 31. It says, The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven, and the voice from heaven said this, This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. 
Now, this is what God wants to happen to us. God is not against prosperity, per se. God is not against success. God is not against abundance. God is not against we receiving some form of admiration. What God is really against is our failure to acknowledge His sovereignty, our failure to acknowledge that He is on the throne, that He is the majestic and glorious and powerful God, and that what He wants to happen is that we give Him the due respect, the due honor, the due worship that He richly deserves. And sometimes we miss that. We are concentrated on the things of this life. We're concentrated on building the city of man. And we glory in that. We derive our satisfaction from that. We derive our fulfillment in that. But at the end of the day, Anthony Hopkins, at least from this perspective, is right when he said that after all of these, there's going to be darkness and it's all over. In that sense, he is right when your view remains simply here in this temporal world. But you and I know that as believers in Christ, we have a bright future and a bright hope. And you and I know that this is definitely not our final destination. So let's take a look at the story and let's follow through and let's see what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Verse 33 reads, Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. Exactly. It says here he was driven away from the people and he ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Now this was a mental condition. He had lost his mind. And the reason why he had lost his mind was not because of any external circumstance. He lost his mind because he was proud, because he was arrogant, because he did not recognize God at all in his life. He saw himself as a creator. He saw himself as a God. He saw himself as supreme. He saw himself as preeminent. And he failed to recognize the sovereignty of God in his life. And as a result of that, he was punished by God and he lost his mind. But you know what? Sometimes something bad that happens to us eventually turns out for something good. And let's take a look at what happened to him, the good that hap happened to him in Daniel 4, beginning at verse 34. It says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. Notice the change of mindset, the change of perspective. I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. 
His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases, and with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, here's what happened. My honor and my splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. Notice here, this tells us God has nothing against honor. He has nothing against splendor. He has nothing against glory. And notice what it says here. My advisors and my nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. He became even greater than before. What does that tell us? God is nothing against greatness. God is not against splendor. God is not against our own honor. God is not against success. God is not against prosperity. But what He is against is our failure to recognize that He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. What He is against is arrogance and pride. What He is against is when we think that what we have accomplished comes from our own strength, our own might, and our own power. What He is against is that we no longer see Him as the perfect one, as the God of glory and the God of power. That is what He is against. And that is why, friends, as believers in Christ, let us renew our focus in the Lord this 2017. Now notice what he says in verse 37. It says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. Because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Believers in Christ, be careful what you are building. I pray to God that you are not building the city of man. I pray to God that you are not building your own city your own kingdom. I pray that you are not seeking your own fame and your own glory. I pray to God this 2017, you will have a renewed passion for the glory of God and that you will be committed to that, that you will be building the city of God, which brings us to the city of God. And I'd like to be able to explain to you what the city of God. First, a definition of what the city of God is all about. So we saw the secular city. Now we go to the city of God. This is what you and I should be building. The city of God is different in its standards 
It is different in its goals. It is different in its destiny. So one of the things I'd like to be pointing out to you, brothers and sisters, is what are your standards in life? Here's another question. What are your goals in life? And then here's another question. What do you think is your destiny? And I believe we we need to be able to answer those questions. You know why? Because if our standards are the same as the city of man, if our goals are the same as the city of man, if our destination is the same as the city of man, we have got it wrong. We're making a terrible mistake. We are going the right way. We are building the wrong things in life. And friends, this 2017, if that is what is happening, we need to repent. Because what is happening is that the church is becoming more like the world And the world is becoming more like the church. And sometimes you no longer see a difference between the two. But you see, that is not supposed to be the case. Why? Because the Bible says we belong to the light. And the world belongs to darkness. There is no similarity between light and darkness. So when it comes to our standards, it should be different. When it comes to our goals, it should be different. When it comes to our final destiny, it should be different. And so here am I. I'm going to challenge you this 2017. Start building the city of God. Don't build the city of man. Build the city of God. That is what you and I need to be building this year. In fact, we should have been building that ever since we came to Christ. But sometimes we do get lost, don't we? Sometimes we forget our destiny. Sometimes we forget that we are a royal priesthood. And sometimes we forget that we are a holy nation. Sometimes we forget that we are the chosen ones and that we are the elect. Sometimes we forget that we are the church, the pillar of truth. And because we forget We go the wrong way, we build the wrong way, and we go astray even. Hopefully that will change this 2017. Let's take a look at Abraham this time. And let's take a look at the city that he was looking for. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 8, please. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, 
He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Watch verse 10. For he was looking forward to what? He was looking forward to what? The city. This is what I'm talking about. The city of God. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is whom? Is God. This is the city of God. This is our final destination. And whatever we build in this life, should be a contribution to the city of God. We should be building this particular city. And you know why? Because again, because we're believers. And because we walk by faith and not by sight. The world builds on what it sees. We, as believers in Christ, we build on things we do not see. The city of God is something that we have not seen. The city of God is not something that is open to our own physical eyes at this moment. It is invisible to us. And yet by faith, everything that we do should be towards that city. Our minds and our hearts should be preoccupied with the city of God. And that is why when we talk about our standards, when we talk about our goals, when we talk about our destination, that is our destination. That is our standard. That is our dream. And friends, we are pilgrims. We're here merely on a very short, let me remind you, a very short journey. And God has given us only one life to live. So we better not waste it. God's not going to give us another life. When you and I wake up in eternity, we cannot face God and say to God, Lord, Give me another chance not to waste my life. That's not going to happen. If we've wasted our life here on earth, it's been wasted. Life is like a coin. We only get to spend it once. And we better spend it wisely. We better spend it in such a way that what we are actually building is the city of God. One day, this city which we do not see, we will be able to see. Look at Revelation 21, beginning at verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Watch this. I saw the what? Say it out loud, please. I saw the what? The holy city. There you go. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. One day, this city, which is invisible to the human eye right now, even to our own human eye, will one day be visible. And we will see this city. And during that time, we will be able to commune with God face to face. We will see the face of our Savior. We will see the hands of our Savior. We will see the hole in His hands. And the Bible says that it will be glory for us because He will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no longer crying, pain. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. What a wonderful world that is. And that is the city that we look forward to. That is the end to which we live our lives. That is what we need to be building. So here's my question for you. As you live your life, as you reflect on 2016, 2015, 2014, what were you building in the past years of your life? Could you honestly Say, could you sincerely, earnestly say that you were building the city of God? Or is it possible that in the past years of your life, what you were building was the city of man? Is it possible that your preoccupation during the past years was your own glory, was your own power, was your own success, was your own prosperity? Is it possible, dear brothers and sisters, that God was placed in the sidelines of your life? I hope that is going to change this 2017. You know, whenever there is a new year that takes place, people come up with New Year's resolutions. But you see, the problem is, they are never, ever able to carry out whatever resolutions they have. You know why? Because they're not determined. Because they do not have the mental resolve and the mental strength to be able to pull through, to be able to pursue whatever it is that they have resolved in their hearts. But for us believers, that needs to change. We need to change. Why? Because the power of God resides in us. We need to change. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. We need to change. Why? Because God can strengthen the inner man. We need to change. You know why? Because we can experience the fullness of God in our lives. That's why we need to change. And we need to be determined. Now is the time to stop being slothful. 
Now is the time to stop being sloppy. Now is the time to stop being lazy for the things of God. Now is the time for us to stop being passive. Now is the time wherein you and I need to be proactive and do exactly what God wants us to do, focusing not on what we see, but on what cannot be seen. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. And here's what it reads. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I mean, how this is so true. You probably saw our early pictures, most especially myself. My wife doesn't seem to change, but I've been changing over the years. You probably saw my very thick hair and now no hair. And that's the reality of life. Everything that we see, we're going to lose. The outward man is going to decay. It's the inner man that is being renewed day by day. And our hope is this, verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. Do you have trials in your life? Are you going through storms? I'd like to comfort you by saying that they are light, and the Bible says they are momentary. They're not going to last forever. There is no permanent storm. Amen? Have you ever seen a permanent storm? All storms, no matter how powerful, they might even be category five, but they all pass away. They all pass. But not so when it comes to the kingdom of God. So here's what our resolution should be found in verse 18. It says, listen well. So we fix our eyes, all right? We fix our eyes not on what is what? Not on what is seen. But you know, a lot of times, that's, that's where our eyes are. Our eyes are on those fancy cars. Our eyes are on this nice house. Our eyes are on these nice gadgets. Our eyes are on our bank account. Our eyes are on these temporal things. Well, here's what the Bible says. Don't fix your eyes on what you see. So what do we focus our eyes on? It says here, this is, this is so ironic and very intriguing. It says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. How do you fix your eyes on what you cannot see? That's a very intriguing question. 
But here is where you and I understand Paul was not talking about our physical eyes. He was talking about our spiritual eyes. And our spiritual eyes should be seeing what the world is not able to see. Remember the story that I gave to you, gave to you about Sister Baby Padasas? That blind woman? It's interesting. She sees what other people are not able to see. And yet, there are many people who have physical eyesight and yet they are blind. This was what Jesus was talking about when he was walking here on earth. When he was talking about the Pharisees, he was saying they were blind, leading the blind. People in the world have physical eyes, but they do not have spiritual eyes to see. We need to use those eyes. We need to focus our lens again. It says here, for what is seen is temporary. Could you say that to your neighbor? What you see is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Isn't that interesting? This city of God, we don't see it. When you look at the back, you see all those nice, fancy buildings. You look over the glass window there, you see seaside, Schumart Seaside. You see the sea. You see everything that we have built as human beings. But there is a city we don't even see, but it is true. And not only is it true, it is everlasting. Amen? It is eternal. And that's what we need to fix our lens on. We cannot be focused on what cannot be seen. We cannot let the world, listen well, we cannot let the world set our focus. You know why? Because the world is out of focus. The world is out of focus. So don't let the world set your focus in life. We need to understand that these two cities, the city of man and the city of God, are on opposite sides. And not only that, they demand absolute loyalty and devotion. Let me say it again. The city of man and the city of God demand absolute loyalty and devotion. That is why if you're a Christian, one foot cannot be in the Lord and another foot in the world. You cannot have split personalities. You must not have spiritual schizophrenia. 
You cannot be a Dr. Jekyll and Hyde. You cannot have one foot in the Lord and one foot in the world. Both feet need to be planted in the Lord. Both feet need to be planted in the Word of God. That's what needs to happen. That is why you cannot have a dual citizenship. Right? You cannot be a man of the world and a man of the Lord at the same time. Paul reminds us in the book of Philippians that our citizenship is where? Where is our citizenship? In heaven. So that is our focus. Alistair Begg was right when he talked about these two cities. This is what he said, we are in an irreconcilable war. Hear this out. We are in an unreconcilable or irreconcilable war. These two cities cannot mesh together. These two cities cannot merge together. They are the complete opposite. And as I mentioned to you, they demand absolute loyalty and devotion. Question, my dear brothers and sisters, is where is your loyalty? Where is your devotion? Where is your commitment? We live in this city, in this secular city, but we don't belong to it. And we must not live according to it. Look at John chapter 15, verse 18, please. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind, and this is Jesus speaking, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. How do you know you're a genuine Christian? Because we want to find out if we are. Well, the Bible says, if the world loves you, you belong to the world. But if the world hates you, not that you like the world hating you. The Bible says, if the world hates you, then you belong to Him. And the question is, why will the world hate Christians? In fact, isn't that what we see in the world over? People trying to stamp out Christianity. People trying to destroy Christianity. Why is that so? Because darkness hates light. That's why Peter says the godly shall be persecuted. So, as we go on, we probably ask this question, all right, Pastor Mel, we agree that we belong to the city of God, but what are the practical implications of this as far as living out our lives? Now, to simplify matters, I will submit to you two questions. Don't answer those questions, by the way. Let the Bible answer those questions. Here's the first question. If we belong to the city of God, I think we have it there, 
Could you read this for me at the count of three? One, two, read. All right? I'm sure you're asking this question. Because probably some of you are thinking, Master Mel, when you're talking about the city of God, does that mean we should go to the boondocks, that we should go to the mountains, build a monastery, isolate ourselves from the world, and what we will do is just pray, read the Bible? Do we get out of this world, so to speak, build our own city of Zion? I believe that's a question that many of us are asking. How do we conduct ourselves? No, I am not in any way suggesting that we build monasteries. No, I am not in any way suggesting that we isolate ourselves. But here's something very important. Here's how we conduct ourselves. Matthew 6, 28 to 34. We just read this a few Sundays ago, but let's read it again. Matthew 6, 28 to 34 reads, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Watch this. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, what do you think this passage is trying to say to us? This passage is simply trying to say to us that our focus should not be the concerns of the pagans. What's the concern of the pagans? Food, clothing, shelter. And God gives us the assurance here, God knows you need them. Sometimes we don't even have to remind God that we need them. God knows that we need these things. So God is saying to us, Jesus is saying, is saying to us, don't make that the focus of your life. So what should be my focus? If you're reading this correctly, our focus is the kingdom of God. Amen? Our focus is the kingdom of God. That is what should be our focus. So when you are raising up your family, ask yourself this question when you make decisions. Sometimes we decide on where, where to send our children to school. Sometimes we advise our children what jobs to take. And the question that we need to be asking when we help them make those decisions, what are we building? What are we pursuing? The kingdom of God? 
I recall somebody who was asking us whether their child could enter showbiz. And my thinking was, if you're a Christian, you don't go to that world. Because that world is the antithesis of what Christianity is trying to teach. But you see, sometimes we are attracted to the glitter and the sparkle of the world. That's why we need to be asking ourselves this question, what are we building? When we make those decisions in life, what are we building? Here's the second question we need to ask ourselves. If we are supposed to build the city of God, and yet we are in this world, albeit temporarily, how should we then interact as a church? Now, when I ask this question, I'm not talking about individual Christians. I'm talking about the church as a whole. How will the, the church interact with the world that we are now living in? Now, here is the first thing. Let's make sure we're fighting the right war. Say to your neighbor, make sure. Ingna pag sure. Make sure you are fighting the right war. Say it. Now, why is that so important? Because sometimes we get carried away emotionally, even mentally, intellectually, with the social issues and the social ills of society. And what we would like to do is to moralize or politicize Christianity. Let me just say this. That's the wrong way. God did not call us as a church to lobby in the streets against abortion and social injustice. Jesus did not set up a political coalition. Was Jesus aware of the oppression? Yes. Was he aware of the corruption during his time? Yes. Was he aware of the extortion, the social injustice, the massacres? Was he aware of all those things? Yes. Was he concerned about them? Yes. But did he set up a political coalition to fight these social ills? No. Why? Because Jesus knew that his mission was not to put up a political party. His mission was to save the souls of men. He understood what was more important. That is why the church should be an apolitical entity concerned with the souls of men. The problem with moralization and the politicizing of Christianity 
is that the church misses out on its mission, which is go and make disciples. Secondly, when the church heads into the direction of politics or mere moralization, it fails to solve the real problem. Alistair Begg was right when he said, let us not mistake symptoms for illnesses or the fruit from the root. Abortion, prostitution, corruption, social injustice, rape, all of these things are merely symptoms. They are not the illness. Now, for those of you who have consulted doctors, you and I know that when you have a virus, it's self-limiting. Of course, you have fever, so what do you take? You take fever. I'm sorry, you don't take fever. You take paracetamol to bring down the fever, right? But you see, here's, here's something that we need to understand. A virus is self-limiting. Meaning to say it will last for three days, maybe five days, maybe seven days, but it limits itself. But that is not true with bacteria. When you and I talk about bacteria, what do you need? You can't simply treat it with paracetamol because that will lower the fever, but you're still sick. So when you have bacteria, what do you need? You need antibiotics. Now, why am I using this analogy? Because sometimes we want to treat the symptoms but not the illness. You know what the problem is? The problem is the human heart. It is desperately sick. So what do you think people need to hear? People need to hear the gospel. Because it is the gospel that will change the hearts of people. If you simply treat the symptoms... They will continue on. Unfortunately, we are no longer preaching the right message. We're more vocal when it comes to treating the symptoms, but we never talk about the illness itself. Friends, the problem is the depravity of the human heart. Now, how many here have a backyard? Let me, let me just ask this question. How many of you have a backyard? All right. How many of you like growing flowers and uh, ornamental plants? Raise your hands, please. All right. We have a few people with green thumbs. The rest probably just like fake plants. <laughs> but one of the enemies of these plants would be weeds, right? Let me ask you this question. How do you treat the weeds? Of course, for some people, what they do is they simply, they simply cut the weeds. When you do that, what's going to happen? It's going to grow again. So if you really want to get rid of the weeds, what do you need to do? You need to uproot it. Take out the roots. That will take care of the problem. And that's my point. 
were very vocal about curing the symptoms, but were not preaching the gospel which will really treat the problem which is the human heart. Many Christians are silent. They've shut their mouth. They're not speaking at all. They talk about the ills of society. They talk about treating the symptoms, but they never talk about really treating the problem, which is the human heart. We have got to preach the right message. We are to declare the main message. Now, here's a question. But what about abortion, prostitution, or corruption? You mean to say we're not going to talk about it? No, I'm not saying we're not going to talk about it, but it's never the main message. Are you listening? It's never the main message. And we only address these issues in connection with the gospel. When you treat these issues separately and you don't connect it with the gospel, what does it profit? What will it accomplish? Will it save the souls of men? No! That is why Jesus was so spot on when he said, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Sometimes we miss the point. We're focusing on the minor messages but not connecting it to the main message, which will really solve the problem of people's hearts. So as the church, we are to declare the main message. Our main message is to declare the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the sins of man, and that if they reject it, judgment is impending. God commands all people to repent. Moralization simply argues from a practical standpoint, but it misses the essence of the message of the cross. Friends, let's not argue with the world simply about the practical benefits of Christianity, like hard work, which is good, integrity, and many other things. I mean, let's not just simply argue on those things. Why? Because whatever benefits people derive out of them, it's not going to produce eternal life. People will still be damned forever. Which brings me to the next point. The church needs to fight in the right way. We do not fight politically as a church. Now, am I saying that Christians cannot be involved in politics? No. I'm not talking about individual Christians here. I'm talking about the church. As a whole, the church as a whole should not be a political entity. We should be apolitical. That is why when somebody who was a pastor ran for president, I did not support him. A lot of people were approaching me clamoring that I support this candidate to become president of the Philippines. And I could not get myself to do that. I never declared that before the church. I never endorsed him. You know why? 
because he was fighting the wrong war. He was already a pastor. And as a pastor, what he should be preaching is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to change the hearts and minds of people. Everybody, after all, desires nation building, but we need to build the nation the right way. And the right way to build a nation is to treat the illness, not just the symptom. That's the reason why two Fridays ago, I was in BBRC preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I knew the only hope of these people in prison to experience true emancipation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're going to the barangays and preaching the gospel to the drug surrenderies. You can put them on rehab. Let me tell you this, they will go back to drugs. That's why sometimes the saying, and this is from a human standpoint, of course, this is what they say about drug addicts. Once a drug addict, always a drug addict. Well, that may be true from a human standpoint, but not as far as the gospel is concerned. I've seen many drug addicts delivered from drugs as a result of the gospel. One of them happens to be our elder, Brother Jingle Bernardo. He used to be a drug addict. And yet, look at him right now. One of the committed followers of Jesus Christ. You saw him on the screen. He was praying. And boy, when he prays, I've never seen anyone pray as intensely as this person. But you know what? He used to be a drug addict. You change the way we do war, you know what's going to happen? We will make people better husbands, better wives, and better children. And that's how we build society. We build society not from the outside looking in, but we build society from the inside out. We do it the proper way. We start where it should start. Again, the problem sometimes is we are treating the symptoms, but not the illness. Which brings us to the next point, we need to fight with the right weapons. Let me bring you to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 7. It says, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you, that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Notice, we don't live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Very clearly, Paul is saying to us here, 
We are not to fight using the weapons of the world. Verse 6, And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Look at verse 7. This is so beautiful. You are looking only on the surface of things. Isn't this true with the world? The world lives in such a shallow way. People have no depth at all in their soul. They live for shallow things. No depth, no spirituality. No real understanding of what is truly important. Again, the question is, are we then to be isolationists? No. Our response is neither absorption to the secular city nor isolation from it. The Bible calls us to be salt and light in the world, to be an influence so that as our light shines and people see our good works, they may glorify the Father. Hopefully, they may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Problem with the church sometimes is, is it fights the wrong way. How many of you are familiar with the Beatles? You still remember the Beatles? All right. I mean, even the young people still remember the Beatles. In fact, some of those tunes are still playing in my mind. She loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? The Beatles were lost because the church fought in the wrong way. Let me tell you one story. One time, they were met at the airport by a youth group and together with their youth pastors. And when the Beatles came out of the airplane, they started to burn the music albums of the Beatles. That's how they wanted to fight the war. Instead of preaching the gospel message, they decided to burn those albums. That way is the way of the world. That way is the way of hatred. In 1965, John Lennon wrote that song, Help. Help me if you can. And yet... I believe that was really a cry of his soul. Help me if you can. Provide me an answer. Unfortunately, these youth pastors and this youth group did not provide the right answers. And that's the reason why up to today, they're still lost. Christians, let's not fight the wrong way. Let us fight the right way. And this year, as we celebrate this anniversary month of ours, may we be found building, not the city of man, but the city of God. Amen? Let's build the city of God. And what better way to do that but by celebrating the Lord's table. As we begin this new year,
we will remind ourselves again of the main message. What is the main message? The gospel. And the gospel is proclaimed through the table. The cup of wine symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses and washes away all of our sins. The bread symbolizes the body of Christ. We are the ones who were supposed to be nailed to the cross, but instead, it was the body of Christ that was nailed. And because of what Christ did, we now have this new life. We now have this new heart. And we now have a new message. As we celebrate the Lord's table, my prayer to God is that you will reminisce the goodness of God, but not only that, that you will find yourself sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to your friends and unsaved loved ones. So let me ask the worship team to come and just to prepare our hearts for the Lord's